Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Audrey. And I'm Katie. And today we are discussing the human embodiment of a bug. Ooh. Miss Rita Skeeter. Mm. I'm excited. Yeah, I don't know why we haven't done this episode. Yeah. I like don't have anything like profound to say about her. She's just like a fun character to talk about. Yeah, and like we don't know a ton about her like the stuff we know about her is pretty one note but like yeah it's interesting one note (laughs) yeah like it's like we know like her thing of like how she's a reporter and that's pretty much it but like it's kind of cool yeah i'm excited um our patron of the episode is mark thanks mark you're a pretty good dad and patron (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, thank you so much for your extra kind gift. Uh, uh, and cra- congratulations for us recording our 100th episode. <laughs> that was very nice of you. Thank you. Um, for announcements, uh, this episode is coming out on the 29th, March 29th. Um, and just want to let everybody know that Trans Day of Visibility is March 31st. Um, you know, take a moment to stand in solidarity or take the day to stand in solidarity with the trans community and everything that they are up against right now. And yeah, be a good ally. Speaking of being good allies, (laughs) because of the generosity of our patrons, we had some funds that we didn't really have, um, a productive place for them to go in terms of the podcast you know we've been so lucky to be able to both buy new mics because of our patron support and um, pay off our pod bean expenses and be able to do the really fun giveaways that we've done but we really just had a lot left over and talking with Audrey we decided to spread our funds because we've been so lucky to some places that really could use it right now so I believe it it came out to be we're gonna be donated to two different places and each place will get a donation of I think like $85 um so like not a whole lot but it's definitely more than nothing and we are so lucky to be able to donate what even that much thanks to our patrons yeah so part of, half of that money will be going to an organization called Equality Florida. And then the other half will be going to an organization um, in Texas called the Transgender Education Network of Texas. So if you listen to our last episode, Audrey spoke about what's going on in both of those places and how they could use a little bit extra help at the moment. Um, and so we decided to help them in the way that we could. Yeah. And offer still stands for people to um, let me know that they donated to either one of these organizations or another um, queer-focused organization uh, and in their community or elsewhere. And if you let me know and you send me your mailing address, I will send you some buttons um, just as a, like, 
paying it forward, good vibes, everybody do your part if you can. Yeah, and we will be linking both of those organizations in the description of this podcast. So if you want to go check them out, please do. Yeah. All right. All right, so jumping into the episode, so obviously Audrey mentioned it's about Rita Skeeter, so a little bit about her name. So there was nothing like truly groundbreaking about her first name, just kind of that it's a nickname for like Margaret or Margarita. Um, Nothing very groundbreaking again with that, but her last name I thought was very interesting. So Skeeter is a slang term for a mosquito. Um, I think like predominantly like the southern united states skeeter skeeter (laughs) look at that skeeter um so this could like go kind of two ways but also hand in hand like it's a possible allusion to her animagus form and or the fact that she's just kind of like an annoying pest in general Mm -hmm. obviously both of those are connected for a reason like like (laughs) the reason she is a bug animagus is because she's an annoying pest um But I thought this was also really interesting. The word paparazzi is derived from an Italian word for mosquito. Um, So that's like another kind of connection between like mosquito and her job as a reporter. Um, Skeet is also an Anglo-Manx colloquialism (laughs) for gossip or an act of nosiness. Uh, Skeeter could also be a pun off of how annoying Skeeter's lies tend to be. Hmm. So, I thought that was really interesting. That's a really lot of cool. Ways it works. Yeah, I never really like thought about that. For me, it's always just been like, I have a hard time. I always like conflate her two names, and I call her Reader Skeeter. Like oh, when I'm like yeah. speaking quickly, and I'm gonna probably gonna do yeah. that like six Reader times Skeeter. this episode. Yeah. Um. So I just like because of the same sound in both names, but. Um, that's cool. I'd never really thought about the Skeeter. Yeah. I hadn't either. And it's like fairly like obvious. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's not like hidden really, which I mean, a lot of JK Rowling's names are like not super, you know, you don't have to, you normally don't have to dig very deep to get the meaning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, okay. And so we do know that she was born sometime in 1951, because I believe it's, like, when she's interviewing Harry, her quick quotes Quill writes, like, Rita Skeeter, 43, like, attractive blonde. Um, mm. Do you think that was telling the truth, though? That's true. It potentially aged her down. Yeah. So. I wouldn't be surprised. 1951 at the latest, because it definitely wouldn't age her up. Yeah, No um her animagus form as we've kind of talked about is a beetle it's like unclear we okay so we know that she's not a registered animagus um like every other animagus that we know of in the harry potter in the harry potter universe um but we don't know like registered mcgonagall is she's the only one one. (laughs) yeah (laughs) um we don't know like when she became an animagus or any of that yeah and her occupation, um, or, like, occupations, I feel like she's kind of, like, freelance, um, but journalists most prominently for the Daily Prophet, uh, but we also see her write for Witch Weekly, which, like, it kind of seems like Witch Weekly is just, like, part of the A Daily column Prophet. in the Daily Prophet, yeah. yeah. Um, 
And then she does have one story in the Quibbler. And then we see her. She's a biographer and um, writes the life and lives of Albus Dumbledore. After her, like, more, like, normal journalism style, um, she switches to writing a book uh, later in the series. Yeah. Um, so her first mention comes in Goblet of Fire in the chapter Mayhem at the Ministry. And so this is right after the Weasleys plus Harry get back from the chaos of the Quidditch World Cup after the riots happened and they're back at the borough. I knew it, said Mr. Weasley heavily. Ministry blunders, culprits not apprehended, lack security, dark wizards running unchecked, national disgrace. Who wrote this? Ah, of course. Rita Skeeter. That woman's got it in for the Ministry of Magic, said Percy fiercely. Last week she was saying we're wasting your time quibbling about cauldron thickness when we should be stamping out vampires. As if it wasn't specifically stated in paragraph 12 of the guidelines of the treatment of non-wizard part humans. Do us a favor, Percy, said Bill yawning, and shut up. I I'm going to pull up a while we're here I'm going to read a physical description of Rita Skeeter because I feel like that's what I find most interesting in the first mentions um so I'll just bring this up um Skeeter is described as having blonde hair set in elaborate curls that contrasted oddly with her heavily jawed face. She wore jeweled spectacles studded with rhinestones and had thick fingers ending in two-inch nails painted crimson. Her blonde curls were curiously rigid, suggesting it was styled with the magical equivalent of hairspray. Maybe some... What's it called? What's hair? Sleek easies? Sleek easies, yeah. (laughs) Um... She had penciled in eyebrows and three gold teeth, as well as large masculine hands and brightly painted fingernails. So, and she's all she always carries a crocodile skin handbag. Um, two inch nails are that's really long. I was gonna say, I feel like those aren't even that long. <laughs> two inches, what's well, like this, right? But hanging off the end of your. Oh, well, is it, like, past her cuticle, or is it... I think it's, like, two inches past. I mean, I guess, like, either way, they're long, yeah. Two inches. That's so long. Um, Oh, the thing I was going to say in regards to the the first mention, um, it's interesting that, like, Percy is talking about her having it out for the ministry when, like, so much of... um, well, no, I guess she doesn't write any of that Daily Prophet stuff. I guess it just kind of yeah. gets conflated. I guess she's not really in league with the ministry, but it feels like she is because she's, like, on the Daily Prophet. Like, she's with the Daily Prophet and writing these bad things about Harry, but I guess that's pre, like, tension the, with like, the ministry. Against yeah, Harry. yeah, yeah. I guess I always, th- I always think of her as being part of the, like, all the campaign against Harry, but that's in five after she's already been silenced. Yeah. She was, like, um, ahead of the curve. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say, so... Oh, shoot. What's the woman who plays Reed Skeeter's name? I don't know. Miranda Richardson. Mm. Um, so, 
specifically in the like book she obviously like I read she's mentioned as having gold teeth and Miranda Richardson while like when she was prepping to play Rita Skeeter she was like very against the idea of Rita having gold teeth in the movies she kind of wanted to um because like also it's described as her having kind of like mannish hands and maybe not being like kind of as like um what's the word conventionally like attractive as Miranda Richardson plays her in Goblet of Fire and so like she wanted her to come off as kind of like more feminine um a little bit more kind of like upper crust Mm. as opposed to kind of this like maybe seedier looking character that she's described as in the books I think that's weird like where does (laughs) like where the line where like certain actors get a say yeah in the depiction of the characters from like who's to say it's all very subjective yeah and I mean like I know that all movie like the whole movie and every movie is just an interpretation of the text if it's based on a book obviously but like that kind of gets into this like gray area of like how much creative liberty do the actors and actresses that play these Mm -hmm. characters have and like do certain ones get more than others? Yeah. Um, it's all just very... Yeah. It's interesting. Hmm. Um, okay. So, her mind... Well, obviously, sorry, Well, before I move on. Like, obviously, the director and, like, the creative team, like, agree yeah, with yeah, yeah, Richardson. Yeah. Like, they would, like, she just, like, go rogue. <laughs> Um, but like it is just like an interesting thing to think about (laughs) yeah (laughs) like right before take spit him out all right (laughs) um okay so rita's myers-briggs personality type um kind of solid consensus on the internet for entp which is the debater and we've only had this type once before on the podcast for serious black um which is interesting. I feel like I don't know. I can. I feel like I can see it fitting them both, um, but like in slightly different ways and for slightly different reasons. So, no one loves the process of mental sparring more than the debater personality type, as it gives them a chance to exercise their effortlessly effortlessly quick wit, broad accumulated knowledge base, and capacity for connecting disparate ideas to prove their points. Debaters are the ultimate devil's advocate, thriving on the process of shredding arguments and beliefs and letting the ribbons drift in the wind for all to see. They don't always do this because they are trying to achieve some deeper purpose or strategic goal, though. Sometimes it's for the simple reason that it's fun. And so I think a a lot of the reason why she fits this personality type is just, like, the way that it's talking about how this personality type approaches like conversations is very much how she interviews so like she kind of decides what she wants to the story to be before even doing the research it appears um and i think we'll talk about that a little bit later but then she like uses her wit and her cunningness and um her intelligence to get that out of the person that she's interviewing so like we see this the first time she interviews harry like she asks him questions without really waiting for his answer in order so that she can like interpret his the first few words he said in the way that she wants to interpret them and 
Um, I liked how it mentioned, like, they're not really necessarily trying to, like, ask these questions and challenge the truth and everything for some reason. Like, uh, it said that it's just, it can just be because it's fun. And, like, she seems to thrive off of the energy of doing this, but also for her, the reason is just, like, I want to do whatever it is to, like, get the most attention. And, like, it's not like she's a journalist who's, like, I'm going to ask all the right questions to get to the truth and to expose, like, the correct story and everything. Like, she doesn't really seem to care too much about that. (laughs) Um, Taking a certain pleasure in being the underdog, debaters enjoy the mental exercise found in questioning the prevailing mode of thought making them irreplaceable in reworking existing systems or shaking things up and pushing them in clever new directions. However, they'll be miserable managing the day-to-day mechanics of actually implementing their suggestions. Debater personalities love to brainstorm and think big, but they will avoid getting caught doing the grunt work at all costs. They only make up about 3% of the population, which is just right, as it lets them create original ideas, then step back to let more numerous and fastidious personalities handle the logistics of implementation and maintenance. Um, the, like, questioning the prevailing mode of thought really stood out to me because, like, you kind of said it, like, she was, like, ahead of the curve and being, like, anti-Harry, and, like, in 4, it's very much, like, she wants the provocative story and so like that means going against like this the boy who lived like the golden boy that everyone has like seen and supported and the whole wizarding world loves um and so she's fine like bending the truth for that or saying provoking things or provocative things and not caring who it affects like for example with the haggard being a half giant story um but also like I think you can interpret that in like her quibbler interview of Harry um which like caveat I know she was like pretty much blackmailed into but there's clearly still some appeal in it for her and like it ends up working out pretty well for her too and like that interview was totally against like what was currently being said and I think Yes, there were, like, extenuating circumstances forcing her to do that, but also I think she would have been drawn to writing that kind of story because all the other press was saying bad things about Harry, and so it's not like she wanted to give Harry a voice because she thought he was telling the truth. It's just, like, she wanted to say something that was going to grab the attention and not just blend in with the rest of it. Yeah. Um, And the rest of that paragraph kind of talks about how, like, debaters are like there for the big ideas and stuff but not the day-to-day work and I think it's funny because like Hermione does like all the setting up of the cooler interview and I think Rita's just there to like do the interview write the article and get out of there like she's not like corresponding with Xenophilius Lovegood and all that (laughs) um Debater's capacity for debate can be a vexing one. While often appreciated when it's called for, it can fall painfully flat when they step on others' toes by, say, openly questioning their boss in a meeting or picking apart everything their significant other says. This is further complicated by debater's unyielding honesty, as this type doesn't mince words and cares little about being seen as sensitive or compassionate. Like-minded types get along well enough with other people, with people... 
with people with the debater oh (laughs) that was confusing but more sensitive types and society in general are often conflict averse preferring feelings comfort and even white lies over unpleasant truths and hard rationality so this is like a little tricky because it is portraying them as like honest to a fault but she's not necessarily honest to a fault um, because, like, we know that there are lies in things that she prints and, like, the whole, like, Harry and Hermione's story and everything. But I think this really jumped out to me with, like, the Hagrid story and that, like, yeah, the way she got that information was wrong. Like, there's so many, like, she broke so many codes and, like, you, we can talk about how she was not, she shouldn't have printed that or anything, but she, I think, approached it as, like, an expose, like, telling the truth and it like was harmful and hurt sensitive people and caused a lot of trouble that she like did not care about and it wasn't because she felt like everyone should know that Hagrid's a half giant and he's teaching students she just knew that it was going to be like a sensational story and so I think like it's not really pursuit of the truth but it's pursuit of like what's going to grab attention um and she's the the thing that really rings true here is just like she's not sensitive she's not compassionate she doesn't care what her words are gonna do she just wants people to read her words yeah I think like a big part of when people are like oh I'm just like brutally honest like I'll tell you to your face like blah 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 blah. it's like not even the fact that they're being honest honest that like it's the like shock value of them like saying whatever they like saying things that they know like maybe they shouldn't say yeah and so I think that's, like, where it can be, like, where it can fit Rita. Because, like, while she's not always telling the truth, she's, like, saying things that are, like, whoa. Like, okay, that's interesting. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, like, saying, like, shock, shocking things. Yeah, and I think she probably, like, sees herself as some, like, yeah truth seeker on a moral high yeah. ground and all of that. But, like, that's not what she's doing, but it has the same, like, Uh, qualities of this personality type wrapped up in it yeah um it's like kind of like her whole character (laughs) well I feel like when people are like I'm telling the truth or like I'm being blunt or I'm just like brutally honest I feel like a lot of times they're just being like mean Mm -hmm. this is like kind of a tangent but like kind of connects to this it's like if you just like are in a bad mood and your friend is like I'm gonna be brutally honest with you with you right now like you're being kind of a bitch like first off like how does that help the situation and like second off like that doesn't always mean that they're telling you the truth like yeah I can maybe be a little bit grumpy but maybe I didn't get a lot of sleep the night before you know like it it doesn't it's like there's like It's, like, using – people use that, like, qualifier as, like, an excuse to say anything. Say anything, yeah. And, like, that's why I think – like, I think that's how it extends to Rita and, like, like I how that, like, really fits Rita is because, like, she just needs an excuse to say anything she wants, you know? Um, This conversation is making me think of this meme I saw the other day (laughs) that was, like – uh, I'm get. I might make some people mad with this one. Like dot 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 launches into full hate speech. Like, <laughs> yeah, just it's like, like yeah. Like if you have to preface <laughs> something that way, like you're probably shouldn't be saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that thing. Like uh, this that rule that it's like you never want to like point out something to somebody's face if they can't fix it within like three seconds or whatever it is you know yeah yeah, yeah. like uh the like stuffing your teeth rule 
yeah, like stuffing your teeth, something on your face, like your zippers unbuttoned, your shirt is inside out. Yes. Like, yeah, point those out to people. But don't be like, your teeth are crooked. You should probably <laughs> fix that. It's like, see, that's just being mean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, okay, so debater personalities find themselves respected for their vision, confidence, knowledge, and keen sense of humor, but often struggle to utilize these qualities as the basis for deeper friendships and romantic relationships. And so I think we see this a little bit with Rita as in, like, in her relationship with her readers, and that, like, the people that read Rita, which is the stereotype that is portrayed is, like, housewives or like older women um who just like gobble all this gossip up and I like I'm kind of averse to like that stereotype I feel like it kind of portrays these women in like like they're dumb and they don't know better and I think that like Molly is portrayed in that way a little bit um because of how she like reads and just believes everything that Rita writes but anyway I think like She's seen as, like, this go-getter, this powerful woman. She's smart. She's got the style, all that. Um, But we don't, like, not that we necessarily would know of any further relationships in her life. Because, like, we only see her in her professional sense. But, like, it kind of seems like she's a lone wolf. And I can see, like, how she could get, go very far in her career and become respected for that. But not have that strong of a personal life and kind of just be on her own and not have very good friendships or romantic relationships or any of that because like yeah like what we've been talking about like the things that she puts in her writing like if she's like that to her friends like I wouldn't want to be her friend right yeah (laughs) um so I think like there could be this disconnect and yeah she she kind of just seems like a lone wolf Okay, so for strengths, we have knowledgeable, quick thinkers, original, excellent brainstormers, charismatic, and energetic, which I think, like, fit pretty well. Um, For weaknesses, very argumentative, insensitive, that's a big one, intolerant, that's a big one, can find it difficult to focus and dislike practical matters. Um, Yeah, I, I don't know, I think this personality type fits pretty well. Um... And, like, I think sometimes when we don't know a lot about a character, it's really hard to type people. But in this case, like, we don't know a ton about her. But what we know is, like, very indicative of the kind of person that she is. Like, the small information we have, we can kind of easily create a bigger picture. And, like, the the little information we have also shows a lot at, like, her morals and her maybe lack of morals but um her like fundamental beliefs and and tendencies yeah I also feel like it's all consistent yeah I feel like sometimes when we have a little bit of information they can be like random little bits and bobs Mm -hmm. I feel like all of the information we know about Rita is like very across the board like yeah makes sense yeah we have like we have a very clear picture of like how she does her job and yeah. that's like yeah. her role in the series and so it's really easy to like know what she would do in different situations surrounding her job and like what's driving yeah. them yeah um so now I'm going to talk a little bit about her writing and maybe her most her more notable 
writings throughout this that we learned about throughout the series. So I thought this was really interesting because I thought that this like I read this somewhere and I was like, oh, this has to like not be book canon, but apparently it was mentioned in the book. So <laughs> if I believe the wiki, um, so this is I'm just gonna go through like this is kind of like a timeline of her like working history. So the first thing we know about her is that prior to the events of the book, prior to us meeting her, we know that she wrote a biography about Armando Dippet called Armando Dippet, Master or Moron. Um, so Armando Dippet was a headmaster of Hogwarts before Dumbledore, the headmaster before Dumbledore. So Dumbledore was not her first foray foray into biographies. Um, And this is kind of the thing that like started her career on the trajectory that it did. It was a bestseller. Um, It kind of like catapulted her career. Um, Also early in her career, she wrote like, you know how like authors write little blurbs about other books. She wrote one for Quidditch for the Ages in which it read, I've read worse. That was like her like (laughs) review of it. Um, And so I guess that's like probably included on like, if you were to like open a copy of Quidditch for the Ages, I assume that's kind of like one of the things that you'd find in there. So that's like a fun little Easter egg. Um, we know that throughout the first Wizarding War, she reported on that going to a suspected Death Eater trial, such as Igor Karkaroff and Ludo Bagman, um, writing for the Daily Prophet then. Um, we know that she attended the International Confederation for Wizards Conference during the summer of 1994 and, w- and wrote a piece on it in which she described Dumbledore as an obsolete dingbat. <laughs> Um, and then when we first meet Rita, she's uh, wrote about the events that occurred after the 1994 Quidditch World Cup and specifically called out like the failure of the ministry to catch anybody, to punish anybody for the riots that occurred. And that's what the first mention was about. Then throughout the 1994-1995 school year, she covered the Triwizard Tournament at Hogwarts, paying special attention to Harry um and how he entered the tournament why he entered the tournament particularly his love life and connection to one Hermione Granger (laughs) um she also paid special attention to Hagrid first kind of like poking into his like illegal breeding of beasts and then when she kind of got like the big story when she found out that he was a half giant in his parentage um how does she end up first like was she just, like, poking around Hogwarts? Like, what? do we know how she first ended up, like, going over to Hagrid? Like, why? Was it Malfoy I don't know, t- trying like, to, like, bring him down? I mean, yeah, Malfoy was definitely, like, go after Hagrid. He, like, is some shit. Like, he, <laughs> like you could, you know, like, because Malfoy's always had it in for Hagrid. Yeah. And, like, to be fair, like, he very openly did illegal breeding of beasts so like it's pretty (laughs) pretty cut and dry right there um but yeah so then throughout the like gobbled of fire there it's like very suspicious how she gets all of her information (laughs) um obviously like the slytherins are feeding her some stuff and like they're giving her like the in but very suspicious um 
at the end of the school year, Hermione finds out about her dirty little secret, and so she blackmails her into stopping writing altogether. So she doesn't write again until Hermione contacts her during the 1995-1996 school year. So, like, I think, like, Hermione said something about, like, you can't write anything about anybody for, like, five years or something like that, or, like, two years. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously Hermione... Um, ends this a little bit early so it's not even a year it's like months yeah that she didn't write um so like i said hermione contacts her during the 1995-1996 school year and gives her the chance to write an exclusive about what harry saw the night that cedric died in the little hangleton graveyard this gets published in the quibbler and is like a hit piece everybody's buying the quibbler it's the best sales that they've ever had and i think there's like a quote in the book about how like xenophilius or luna like thinks it's because of this like other thing that's in yeah, that edition yeah. of the Quibbler. <laughs> They're like, it's because we did find proof of a Crumblehorn Snorkak or something <laughs> like that. Um, so I just looked in the book and it, Hermione says, and I told her she's to keep her quill to herself for a whole year. So that is oh, okay. not even that long. <laughs> No. But and then she says But I think like there are other stipulations that like never again can you like write something harmful. Yeah, it says see see if she can't break the habit of writing horrible lies about people. Yeah. Well it's like even past that though, like Hermione still has that information mm-hmm. over her. Yeah. So like Hermione could come back at any time if she's like, You're not you're not you're writing mean things about people again, Rita. Yeah. Um and then she, like, remains. We don't really hear anything about her throughout the 1996-97 school year. But supposedly this, like, this could be because she's doing such intense research huh. on her book, The Life and Lives of Albus Dumbledore, which gets published sometime in 1997 because it's not out by the time of Bill and Fleur's wedding. There's, like, an exclusive, mm-hmm. like, the first chapter or something is in the Daily Prophet. But then it definitely is out by December. So sometime between, like, July and December, it's get, it gets published. Do you think that the Daily Prophet owns, like, the only publishing house in mm. Wizarding Britain? Like, I feel I like know. they have a monopoly on everything but the Quibbler. Well, do you think, like, textbooks get public because like there's so many textbooks yeah i don't know i guess like it's not unheard of for like the ministry to be involved in this school <laughs> um <laughs> which like obviously the life and lives of albus dumbledore is a tell all about dumbledore dumbledore's childhood and his family which had mainly remained a secret to the wider wizarding world and i'll talk a little bit more about maybe some things that she writes post the events of deathly hallows later mm-hmm um yeah and the Dumbledore for Dumbledore her source was Bathilda right yeah um so um so I actually want to talk about this a little bit now just because it's about her writing so there's like a clear pattern with Rita where like her writing obviously isn't always truthful but like some of it is Mm -hmm. some of it's based on truth some of it is like exaggerations but from what we can tell the life and lives of Albus Dumbledore is like fairly accurate yeah. from what we know. It's and it's then, like dramatized, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but like everything that we know that Harry reads in the life and lives of Albus Dumbledore like 
is based in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that like getting a little, a little bit into like later when I'm going to talk about the where are they now section, she's supposedly based on some like chat that the author had done post books or whatever. She wrote a biography about Harry that they that she says is a quarter accurate. So she it like if we are to believe obviously post book interviews with the author how canon is that that she like veers back into the like not true mm. uh writing style but also to back that information up even more there's a bunch of writing that like Rita Skeeter is supposed to have done when like the like the like the Quidditch World Cup that happened that like there were like articles about mm. like she basically was like digging for dirt throughout that and like stirring up trauma drama with that and trauma honestly um so just like the like I wonder how accurate the life and lives of Albus Dumbledore like actually is with like the whole book as a whole maybe not just like the part that Harry read like I I don't know I I, it's interesting about like how much we are to believe Rita like I know that obviously Dumbledore backed up a lot of what we found out in that but yeah I don't know yeah um and like the part that we like get a snippet of like she didn't really need to add she didn't need to like sensationalize it it because it was already pretty juicy yeah and like I think, like, the fat, like, Ariana and, like, how she died, I think, like, I don't remember exactly how it's worded in the book or how she talks about in the book, but I think, like, that's pretty, like, I mean, that's dramatic in itself, but obviously, like, Rita dramatizes it. And there's also, like, lots of rumors, at least pre-book, I don't know if the book touches on this at all, but, like, what happened to, like, Kendra. Yeah. And, like, what, because, like, that's still up in the air, honestly, for, like, us as, like, readers. Like, did Ariana kill Kendra? Um, So, like, she kind of, like, feeds into that. Um, Obviously. A new theory. Uh, The entire, you know how, like, you get to the end of a series and you're, like, and sometimes it's, like, oh, it was all a dream. Oh, yeah. Um, But actually... The Harry Potter series is Rita's biography of Harry Potter. Well, have you seen that stuff where people are like, J.K. Rowling is like Rita Skeeter or something like that. And like, she's like, you know what I mean? Like, she just like wrote this whole like, she dramatized, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just saying. People have made. Yeah. I mean i think we do do we have a title for the one about harry no because it's oh, seven parts so. harry potter and the philosopher's stone <laughs> we do have another we do have a na- another um great arena title that i will read later <laughs> but i'll save that okay um so hogwarts house debate uh so some like background i guess um, I think on Pottermore, it wasn't, her house wasn't listed, but, like, I think the, the fact file page was green, so everyone was like, oh, she's a Slytherin, blah, blah, Um. Yeah, I, like, I but, was shocked when you had this in there, because, like, I thought it was, like. For sure Slytherin. 
that yeah, she was Slytherin. I, yeah. I kind of did too, but then I was like, I feel like it's not confirmed. Um, so basically, I only have notes on Ravenclaw and Slytherin because I like <laughs> I don't like I can't make a single argument for Hufflepuff. Um, Gryffindor, I saw one argument that was like, well, she's an unregistered animagus, so she is brave, and I was like. <laughs> I don't think that's her defining quality. Moving on. Yeah. So <laughs> I actually... Fair, fair. I, as at this exact moment, I'm still on the fence because I think... Okay. W- between Ravenclaw and Slytherin, I think I can apply a lot of her characteristics and a lot of her things to both houses in the sense where she could be like a sinister Ravenclaw, um, like that kind of side of Ravenclaw, or... uh. A Slytherin that's just like not a dark wizard, basically. Like a like a frivol like a frivolous yeah. Slytherin. Um, so I don't know. We'll see which way this this goes. Um, so for Ravenclaw, I'll talk about that first. Um, like her whole, <laughs> she's she has very creative solutions and approaches to her like quote unquote problems and like to her career. In that, like, a lot of people probably wouldn't think to or wouldn't follow through on, like, all actually becoming an animagus in order to get information. They would probably just, like, try to be better at interviewing people and get more access to interviewing people. And so, like, her whole approach is very creative. She's probably the only reporter that does that. Um... She had to be very smart to become an animagus. And we do see that she kind of has, like, intellect and quick wit and stuff to um, get what she wants. Like, she is able to think on her feet and, I don't know, like, uh, yeah, like, use her mind to get what she wants. Um journalism and like being an author is a bookish profession I guess that's what I got like (laughs) um she writes for a career like I don't think you would do that if you like hated writing (laughs) um and then there on the internet there's a lot of comparisons to Lockhart in that like kind of similarly like Lockhart is smart enough to do one thing and know how to use that one thing to become really successful and so like you know like he can cast a really good memory charm and he's smart enough to know that because of that he can basically get anywhere in life to a certain point and so like she's like I'm smart enough to be able to become an animagus and I'm also smart enough to use my skill as being an animagus to become a super successful reporter um, and then someone on Quora or Reddit said, quote, she actively and aggressively seeks out information. And I think this, like, really rings true for me for Ravenclaw because, like, we see her bend to the truth, particularly in the, like, Hermione Harry situation. But also just, like, she has this desire to know everything in, like... Even so much as, like, when she is a beetle in Hermione's hair just so she can, like, hear what her and Crumb are saying. Like, that's such a silly thing to know, but, like, she just wants to know everything. And I think she thinks that having, like, this knowledge and these, like, quotes from people and, like, the receipts and stuff 
are like like knowledge is power I think is like kind of what it comes down to for her and like knowledge is power because I can print it and get famous from it but like she just likes knowing things and being in the know okay sorry I'm just like really thinking about like fact versus fiction in Rita's writing Mm -hmm. and I feel like Okay, yes, like, the Harry Hermione thing. But, like, she had people, like, quotes from people Mm -hmm. at Hogwarts that are, like, they're very close. Mm -hmm. And, like, they are. And, like, with Hagrid, like, whether that was mean or not, like, it was accurate. Yeah. With, like, Hermione and Crumb, again, accurate. Harry and the divination lesson, accurate. Yeah, accurate. Her talking about the ministry in that, like, first article, accurate. Dumbledore accurate accurate like the only one that i can tell has like straight up lies that we know of is like her interview with harry to begin Mm -hmm. with i think the thing is is, like we have this negative perception of her because we're told like you know she's going against harry like but the thing is like she sensationalizes what is already there and yeah the problem is is that she presents everything as like full facts without like yeah she colors things without, like, disclosing that she's coloring them. But, yeah. um, yeah, as we've been talking about this more and more, I'm like, a lot of her stuff is based in fact and truth and, like, things she's observed, whether or not, like, she observed them in a, like, legitimate, yeah. morally upstanding way. But, yeah. And I think this is, like, where it kind of comes in with Ravenclaw is, like, it's not so much as, like, I'm a truth seeker, but, like, I want to have the information. I I want to know. I will be in a better position than you if I know everything about you and you don't know anything about me. And I think yeah. we can talk about in a second how that also is a Slytherin thing, but I think that is very much a Ravenclaw thing. And, like, knowing, believing that your knowledge of other people and of events is going to protect you and help you get further in life and like yeah like that's a very Ravenclaw approach yeah um so then slither inside um this is just like I feel like everybody just kind of accepted Slytherin because like it just makes so much sense it's the gut reaction like she is cunning and calculating like her whole career is about like getting like twisting people's words a little bit so it sensationalizes the story like like I talked about with that first interview with Harry like it seems like she knows the story she wants to tell before she even interviews him so she goes in and she asks the exact questions she cuts him off exactly when she needs to cut him off in order to get that interview out of him um also like I talked about her animagus uh, and using that for her own good as being a creative solution. It's also super cunning. Like, the, the, yeah. it's kind of the same thing there. Yeah. Um, she uses people for her own good. And like I said, she doesn't really care whose toes she steps on. Like, she doesn't give a flying fuck if ha- Hagrid's upset about her exposing that he's a half giant. Because, like... That's readership. That's her name out there. That's people talking about her. And I think this ties mm-hmm. into what I was talking about in her personality type and in, in that, like, she will get the respect for that, but she won't get the close friendships. And, like, 
in that way, she's kind of, like, self-preservation slash, like, self-preservation in the sense of, like, I want to further myself and I don't care about anyone else. Not just, like, I want to defend myself. Yeah. Um, I, some people on Cora and Reddit were, like, she's not super ambitious. Like, it doesn't seem like she wants power or... Yeah, people are like, it doesn't seem like she wants power. Like, she doesn't want to be influencing decisions. But I disagree with that. I think, like, she's ambitious in the sense that she's ruthless. And, like, she has no morals for for telling the truth or even the truth or lies, whatever. She wants, like, fame, money, and attention. And, like, just because she's not ambitious for, like, quote-unquote power, even though, like, she does have a lot of power, I think, like, ambition for fame is... Yeah. Still ambition. I think I think it's even fame more than like money and attention. Yeah. I guess like attention and fame are like pretty like close. I think close it's like together. mostly fame. I feel like it's more yeah, I think it's fame is like really like obviously she loves her money, like she's got her like crocodile skin handbag. Yeah. Like I feel I feel like that's always like presented as like that's expensive, you know. Um I don't know. I, yeah, I really think I really think it's just for like fame and attention and to be like the center of attention and be like did you hear what Rita read like to be the one that like people come to you know and like that fame has power and like her words have power like the more like scandalous and salacious things she reports like the more things she can say and people will believe her right like think about how many like think about the fact that her words had so much power that Mrs. Weasley was upset with Hermione. Like, she has sway over people. Yeah. Um, And then, like, just, like, the Slytherin traits of, like, she's ruthless and pretty insensitive. Not saying all Slytherins are like this, but, like, that is stereotypically, like, not really thinking about others, um, using others for your own good, that kind of thing. And she's super manipulative. That kind of ties back into the, like, cunning and calculating way. And that, like, yeah, she, like, she gets the truth from Haggard, but she manipulates him to get it. Like, I think, I don't know, it's just, like, I can't, I can't decide. Because, like, her, I think a lot of her skill set is Ravenclaw, but a lot of her, like morals and like kind of uh, I don't care who I have to use to get there is a Slytherin aspect um so I don't know like I'll, obviously I don't really like want her in Ravenclaw but I think like people <laughs> bring up Lockhart too I was like that's a pretty. I feel like, like her and Lockhart kind like, of go like they hand in they hand. make it makes sense that they're in the same house. So I'm like, I feel like yeah. she's a Ravenclaw, but I'm gonna call her like a sinister Ravenclaw. But yeah, but then like I don't know, is she like? Do, she doesn't fit into the like accepting we love everyone. Yeah, right? not like we love everyone, but like, uh yeah, Ravenclaw does have this like accepting of like weird quirkiness, and it doesn't really seem like she fits yeah. into that. 
Yeah, I feel like what I've been doing recently when we talk about these is like, where do I think, like, could she have thrived in Ravenclaw? Could she have thrived in Slytherin, like, as a human being at school with other Ravenclaws and Slytherins? And I feel like she would thrive more in Raven, or sorry, in Slytherin. I don't know, like, how well she would fit in in Ravenclaw. I do. The one thing, though, is, like, I feel like with Slytherin at the time that she went to school, mm. it was very, like, Slytherin is dark magic. And, like, that I don't think true, she yeah. would have thrived with that. Like, yeah. I don't know. I think, like, I think she would have been, like, a lone wolf in either sense. Like, I don't see her having close yeah, friendships yeah. at school. Like, I said that I now. feel like people would hate her no matter what. <laughs> but, like... Yeah, I don't know. She's like a sneaky, sneaky Ravenclaw. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like you convinced me for Ravenclaw if I'm being honest, Audrey. I like, I think I convinced myself and then I'm like, but Slytherin is just so obvious. Yeah. Because like, she is cunning, you know, like, and cunning, I feel like is such a like Slytherin word, yeah. but there's so many ways you can make cunning work for Ravenclaw as well. Yeah. Because, yeah, because... It's just, like, her motives behind it, I think, are, like, kind of... Are Slytherin, though. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like, her motives are Slytherin. Her motives are Slytherin, but she... She, like, acts out in Ravenclaw ways. Yeah. You know? Like, I... Like, I'm I'm really torn on this, and I feel like I'm usually leaning one way or the other, and I, like... I convince myself one way and then I convince myself the other way like I yeah genuinely I, don't know I think so her motives are Slytherin but her actions and like how she gets those done I feel like are very Ravenclaw yeah and like that's her where approach, I'm like being very torn her approach yeah. is Ravenclaw but her motives and her feelings like on things are Slytherin yeah, yeah. So it's, like, I guess it comes down to, like, which one she values more. Does she, like, value how she accomplishes things more or the ultimate, like, reason why she's accomplishing them? And I feel like she would, like, that would put her, if I think about it that way, I think I would put her in Slytherin. Because like, I feel like she values the, like, end goal yeah. more than she values, like, the creativity and how she got there. Because you know what I she mean? she doesn't want, like, here's the thing, is if... She valued how she outsmarted everyone to get all this information. Like, she would want people to know that she outsmarted them. Which, doing that would mean she wouldn't have any more of the fame and attention. And she doesn't want to give that up. Give that up, yeah. So, like, I I, I think she values the fame most of all. Yeah, I really think if we think about it that way, which is, like, obviously, like, people talk about is, like, the way, yeah. right? Like, it comes down to what you value. I think it's Slytherin. Which I'm not against her being in Slytherin either. Because but I could see it either I way. I think in both stances, she rep- represents someone who doesn't quite fit your, like, stereotype yeah. of the house, right? Like, yeah. um, where, like, you know, we have some Ravenclaws that are not great people, but we're told that, like, oh, Ravenclaw is one of the good houses, and Slytherin's all the people with like the dark people and like she's not a good person so like she doesn't fit that part of Ravenclaw so I kind of like her being a Ravenclaw for like the the a little bit uh darker side of Ravenclaw but like she's not a death eater she's not into that shit so like she sticks out in Slytherin as well so I think it's always good to type people into Slytherin who aren't death eaters in my mind yeah (laughs) Uh, yeah so I guess we're going Slytherin but 
Honestly, I think that, it's a toss-up. At the end of this, I could definitely see either way. But I feel like at the end of this conversation, I'm leaning more towards Slytherin. Okay. Well, let us know what you think. If you have more reasons. If you have a single reason for Hufflepuff. I mean, Hufflepuffs <laughs> are good finders. She finds information. She's good at digging up that information. Um, I, like, can't think of a... Like, she's just so... It's, it's interesting because we're having a really hard time placing her, but it's, like... We know it's it's one of these two houses. Like, it, there's yeah. no way in hell it's another two. <laughs> yeah. I feel like normally we go in thinking, like, oh, it's, like, this or this. But I feel like I normally find that, like, third dark horse house that's, like, that, yeah. that's, like, I, I could see it. But not with, this, <laughs> not with Rita. No. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, I feel like we've already talked about, like, her journalism. Yeah, I think we've, like, discussed this quite a bit. morals and lack of both of those things. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have anything else I really need to, like, obviously, it's bad. <laughs> um, we didn't talk about the quick quotes quill at all, which, yeah. when I was doing the Hogwarts house thing, I was like, I had to look up if she invented the quick quotes quill, because I think um, I headcanoned that, that she invented that she did. it, but it's not, like, it's never said, yeah. it's like... It, it's a named thing, so it's thought to just be, like, something that a company Like a product, makes. yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that... Honestly, maybe that pulls her a little bit further away from Ravenclaw, too. Mm. Like, she doesn't even really do her own writing. Yeah. Like, obviously, it's implied that, like, the quick quote, quotes Quill is, like, reading her mind. Because, like, there's a point where she's like, all right, scratch that. Yeah. And, like, it scratches something out. Um yeah um, i know like obviously we've talked about how like being an anime guest while a creative solution to her problem like definitely created some like i don't know what the journalistic laws are in the <laughs> wizarding world if there are any <laughs> um but you know here in the united states there are like laws about what you can and can't print yeah. um how you obtained that information and how that plays into what you can and cannot print um yeah and I, I think also like her, the way she uses the people she's interviewing, um, like she preys on kind of like innocent, unsuspecting people, uh, like yeah. Harry and like Hagrid and definitely like knows that she has an advantage on them. Like she goes into, I talked about this earlier, but like she goes in an, into an interview knowing what she wants to get out of it, which yeah. like, it means she's not doing the actual work. It's like, she's, she's thinking about how to manipulate you. Yeah. And like, why, like, do we, why do you think she waited for Dumbledore to die to like write yeah. her book? Like she wouldn't have done that when he was still alive, yeah. you know, like she had to wait until he was defenseless yeah. to do it. Not that, like, Dumbledore Dumbledore probably wouldn't have said anything. He probably would have been like, oh, that's fine. Yeah. But. Yeah. I don't know if he would. I think he would have been shook because it's true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Maybe if it was less true, he would have been. Yeah. Rolled his eyes on it. Because, like, I, I don't even think I could see Dumbledore being like, oh, my gosh, those are all lies. Yeah. Like, I don't even think he could, like, lie about it being lies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially because it's, like, his greatest shame. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, so I do have a cocktail for her, um, but it's not. 
excited. Okay. <laughs> it's not interesting. Um, it's oh. just a Margarita. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Marga-Rita. Um, and it's literally, like, there's no there's no twist to it. We it's love just the play on words. Tequila, Cointro, lime juice. But what is, it, what is Archie's little... It doesn't even say anything about Rita Skeeter. It's not even like, she would enjoy this while her no. quotes quilted all of her work. It literally says, this, Archie. this is another one of those cocktails that is such a classic that you really should learn how to make a good one. Experts usually add in a touch more Cointreau and a little less lime juice than a perfect 50-50 split as listed here. Oh. Like, okay, thanks. There's your cocktail tip of the day. Thanks, Archie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, so wrapping up, I do have a fairly lengthy where are they now section. So like I mentioned earlier, we do quote unquote know that she wrote a biography about Harry that was about a quarter true. She also wrote a biography about Snape called Snape, Scoundrel or Saint. So again, classic Rita naming right there. And then a lot of this comes from, like I mentioned before, the Quidditch World Cup writings that came out in 2014. So in April of 2014, just before the opening matches of the 427th Quidditch World Cup, Brazilian manager Jose Barboza called the Welsh chasers, quote, talentless hags, unquote, over drinks with Rita Skeeter. These remarks became public and Welsh manager Gwenog Jones promptly threatened to curse his face off. This created large tension between Jones and Barboza, culminating in a brawl between the two following a Brazil versus Wales match of the quarterfinals on the June on June 4th. Gwyneth Jones attempted to keep her promise to curse off Bar- Barboza's face in full view of a packed stadium. The Welsh manager was dragged from the pinch, pitch by her own beaters and was later put in custody and the Daily Prophet reporter the Daily Prophet later reported that healers confirmed Barboza's skin was almost regrown. <laughs> well, tidbit. Then later during the Quidditch World Cup again, Rita Skeeter wrote a gossip column in the Daily Prophet about the Quidditch World Cup on July 8th, 2014, in which he mentioned that she was about to publish a new book about Dumbledore's army on the 31st of July called Dumbledore's Army, The Dark Side of the Demob. I don't know what that is, if or if that's a typo. Demob. Demob. Um... Rita Skeeter later reported live oh. from the final. It's like oh, shorthand for demobilization, like troops. Oh. So like, some of those, uh, like the dark side of like how they fell apart. The like, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, she reported live from the 2014 Quidditch World Cup in the Patagonian Desert on July 11th, 2014, and instead of focusing on the players, she spent the match spying on the VIP box in which the most prominent members of Dumbledore's army were watching the game. Ginny Ginny Potter, with Rita and the journalist's enclosure, reportedly made corrections to her reports until shortly after the match ended. Rita remarked that her husband, Harry Potter, was publicity-hungry. Just as Ginny was approaching, Rita was taken unaccountably ill with what what some called a jinx to the solar plexus. I don't know what that is. In 2017, Rita published a new book called newt manor monster the truth about newt, or sorry manor monster the truth about newt's commander like the rest of her books most of it was rubbish which we called into question one claim even stated that newt's commander broke seraphina pickery's heart in 1926 something which he revealed was untrue in his own book um 
all of her books are like the life and lies scoundrel or saint man or monster yeah and what was the armando dip it like master or moron yeah <laughs> What's so like harry's Gilly would Locker? have to be like that the boy who lived or the boy who lied <laughs> lived or lied <laughs> lived or lied <laughs> um okay so for our pop quiz we have i this is a fun question good job audrey Thanks. what character would you want to read a rita skeeta expose a patented rita skeeta oh and what would the title be oh we didn't ask that of besides dumbledore we that was not in there yeah we said we can answer dumbledore. that though um so leia on facebook leia said an expose of fudge and how he came to power and his fall from grace would be interesting mm-hmm. That would be. And Isaiah said, fudge the Malfoys on the Malfoy side, not the Blacks. So, like, Lucius and his family. Lockhart. Lockhart would be be interesting. Because I feel like nobody knows why he's, like... Yeah, nobody knows. Um, Harry, just to see her spin on it. And definitely Hermione, especially after the jar situation. Hmm um on instagram salvador said percy but not an expose rather an account of his successes at the ministry okay salvador um (laughs) my immediate thought was hermione uh like i said okay because i mean like hermione is someone who goes gets into power so like people would want to read um yeah and certainly Rita would have a lot to say about her but then I was thinking about it and I was like would she like not say certain things because she was afraid about Hermione revealing the jo- the Ooh. the beetle so like maybe she, she would hold back or she would wait until like like if Hermione died before which is unlikely but um yeah. so maybe I wouldn't want to read Hermione like because they wouldn't be that's sensationalized like i'm reading i'm reading yeah. it for like not for the information just for the like the fun of yeah. it all um oh i feel like bellatrix would be an interesting one mm. i feel like serious black could be a fun one because i feel like she could do a lot to like sensationalize his murder life, or right? martyr oh uh, <laughs> also oh fuck i had an idea right before Sorry. Oh, Umbridge. Ooh. Um, I like. I have to toe this line of like. I want like I want the actual story of some of these yeah. characters, but like, would Rita tell me the actual story? Right. You know what I mean. I don't know. Like, what's a I? What's a character we like don't know a lot about that I'd want to learn a lot about, even if it was like fake. <laughs> Who do I feel like could have an interesting life? Oh, um, Barty Crouch Sr. Mmm, that could be a good one. Or maybe Ludo. I feel like she kind of has it Mm. out for Ludo anyways. I feel like she was part of the, like, I mean, I guess she was at his trial. I feel like she could do some, like, really sensationalized stuff like that, like his gambling problem. Mm Mm-hmm. Hmm. Beater or it's one with a B. Bastard. 
Huh. Yeah, I, so basically, like, any character we've said. Yeah. Anybody slightly in the public eye. Honestly. I feel like I feel like Fudge would also be really interesting. Yeah, and I like the Malfoys. Like, I think that would be yeah. like Yeah. Oh, yeah, that would be good. Dynasty or... Disaster. <laughs> Dynasty or Death Eaters. Dynasty yeah. of Death Eaters. Of Death Eaters, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. Any any other last words on Rita? Not that I can think of. Okay. Um, you can find our episodes coming out every other Tuesday. But if you're a patron, they come out on Mondays, and you get them a day early. And please go give us a rating and a review. Yes, you can also find us on social media. We are Wizard Studies Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and Wizard Studies on Twitter. You can email us at wizardstudiespodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to get an episode early, like Audrey mentioned, become a patron at patreon.com slash wizardstudy. As always, thank you so much for listening. And remember, just do your best. We'll do the rest. And learn until our brains all wrapped.